Um, I don't know this week whether you've watched the news. Um, in, in, in my wife's family, Jane's family, having a cup of tea and watching the news are two of the pastimes that they enjoy the most. Let's put the kettle on and watch the news. And that's, I, I've never kind of really fully understood that. Uh, uh, whenever I stayed at Jane's when we were courting, it, it was just like a family ritual. Kettle's on, let's watch the news. Um, I don't know if you watched the news this week. The news has been in the news a lot, hasn't it, in this last year? Um, the news of the world and all the phone hacking uh, scandal. The Daily Telegraph paying someone £150,000 to buy a list of all the kind of uh, MPs who were involved in the expenses scandal, was it? News is a big business, isn't it? And uh, nowadays, whether you catch it on TV with a cup of tea, or on the radio, or over the internet, or on your tablet thing, we, we all really want to know what's going on, don't we? It's amazing how cynical we are, and yet how hungrily we devour news about all sorts of things. Well, maybe uh, this morning you come to church to get away from the news. Um, but, but you can't, in a way, because the very essence of Christianity is news. The very essence of Christianity is good news. It is, in fact, the best news that you can ever hear. Good news for the whole world. We're thinking in our little series about what makes a healthy church, and this is number three. And this morning I want to think with you uh, primarily about the gospel. And uh, I've called it accurate gospel. Um, anyway, anyone exploring Christianity won't have to go very far in their search, will they, to come across this word gospel. But I thought it would be good this morning for us just to think for a little while together about what it means and why is it, why is it important, why does the Bible, why do Christians go on all the time about the gospel. Well, first of all, uh, some meanings. The, the word gospel in our English language comes from an old, uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's a medieval word, word good spell, uh, which means a good tale, or it means good news, or glad tidings, uh, we might say. And it's become part of our English language, isn't it? We even call the accounts in the Bible of the life of Jesus, we call them Gospels, don't we? Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Because they're the good news that we have in our Bibles about Jesus. That's the good news story. You'll know that the New Testament was written in an ancient language, Greek, and the word that we translate as Gospel is the word Evangel. So whenever, whenever, when anyone says to you, why are you part of an evangelical church, you, you can say, well, it means good news, Evangel. It's the Greek word for good news. That's where we get our word gospel from. I want to um, give you three, three headings uh, to start with about this word gospel. And the, the first one is the idea of celebration. What's interesting about the word evangel is sometimes when we get these words, we think that the disciples must have made them up. And uh, they came up with the word evangel, or if they were English, they would have come up with the word gospel. But actually, we find that it wasn't a new word that the first Christians made up. It was a word that was used in their everyday language 
that they, when, when you're an apostle and you're looking around and you're thinking, what word can I use to describe what God has done? I know. I'll pick the word evangel. We'll hijack that word. And we'll use it to describe what we want to communicate. So it isn't kind of a made-up word. Uh, some of you have seen this before, but here, here's an example of the way the word was used in ancient Roman culture. There's a, chap, a picture of a chap here. Well, it's, just, it's a picture of a stone model of his head. It's, he didn't really look like that. He wasn't made of stone. His name is Gaius Octavius. And he was the Roman emperor after Julius Caesar. He was born in 63 BC and he became the emperor of Rome in around 43 BC. And the reason I mention him in relation to this word evangel is that archaeologists found an inscription that dates to about 9 BC which is really a public announcement that the birthday of this great man, Gaius Octavius, should be celebrated as the first day of the year. Such, such a great man. Let's celebrate his birthday as New Year's Day. And this is what the inscription says. Um, it says, The providence which has ordered the whole of our life, showing concern and zeal, has ordained the most perfect consummation for human life by giving to it Augustus. Caesar, and by filling him with virtue for doing the work of a benefactor among men, and by sending in him, as it were, a saviour for us, and those who come after us, to make war to cease, to create order everywhere, the birthday of the God, Augustus, was the beginning for the world of the glad tidings that have come to man through him. Evangel, good news. The birth of this man was considered to be good news. I don't know if he bribed people to write that. But that, what I'm trying to show you is that the word evangel has an element within it of celebration and optimism. And the Greeks and the Romans had this idea before the time of Christ. A new king is born. A new era has arrived. A new and lasting peace has come. This is good news for everyone. It's good news for the whole world. It was to be proclaimed and rejoiced in. So it's not an accident, is it, that when the New Testament writers are looking for a word in their culture that highlights the kind of message that they're proclaiming, they pick this one, Evangel, good news. Another idea is the idea of liberation. So celebration and liberation. Uh, the, I'll come to a picture in a minute. The prophet Isaiah, in the Old Testament, we're looking at some of the prophets before Christmas. The prophet Isaiah lived in desperate times when the people of God were going off the rails and he warned them that God would allow his people to be taken away off into exile because of their unfaithfulness to him. And he pictures in Isaiah chapter 52, he pictures them as a sort of city whose soldiers are at war. They're fighting for their lives. And everyone at home is waiting to hear the news of how things are going on. Will they win or will they lose? And when will they find out uh, the outcome of this great battle? Just turn back with me to Isaiah chapter 52. 
Isaiah chapter 52 and uh, verse 7. This is how, how Isaiah pictures uh, these times. Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 7. You'll you recognize these words, I'm sure. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news who proclaim peace who bring good tidings who proclaim salvation who say to Zion your God reigns the image there when it talks about the feet of those who bring good news being beautiful the reason for the picture here is it reminds me of that verse of the, the Inca Indians and this picture here is a picture of the Inca Trail it's, it's, not, it's not a brilliant picture but you can get the idea the Inca, the Inca civilization extended down all the, all the west side of South America uh, through Peru, Chile, also Ecuador and Bolivia. It's a very beautiful, mountainous country. But in, in the days before internet access and email and even cars, how do you communicate? Well, they had ways of sending uh, goods and messages through runners. They were called chasquis, which uh, is a word that means messenger. Uh, in the 1400s, uh, these Inca rulers developed a system, uh, a trail system covering all the capitals of this uh, empire. And these runners, if you should, the next picture shows a little stopping place. These were called tambos. And the idea was that the runner would come and he would pass on his message or his produce to the next runner and the next runner would carry it on and go to the next tambo. And this relay system was so effective that messages and goods could be sent hundreds of miles every day. Apparently, I'm told, I wrote it down here, freshly caught fish was successfully delivered from the Pacific coast to Cusco, several hundred miles away and 11,000 feet above sea level by means of these runners now you can imagine if they were at war and the soldiers were away and they're waiting for the runners to come to tell them what's happened can you imagine that and the watchmen are on the walls and they're waiting for the runner to come with a message have we won or lost and the runner staggers up to the door and says the battle's won and great you can imagine the joy the celebration the liberation I think in Isaiah what Isaiah is picturing here is the runner coming. The people are in slavery. They're, they're engaged in a great battle. And the messenger comes bringing good news, proclaiming peace, glad tidings, salvation for Zion. And it's a, it's a message of liberation as well as celebration, isn't it? Does it remind you of the birth of Jesus when the shepherds came to the angels in Luke chapter 2? And they said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news, glad tidings of great joy that will be for all the people. It's the same thing, isn't it? Not a runner in this case, but an angel coming. Good news to celebrate liberation. It is for all the people. When we go back to Mark's Gospel, if you've got your finger there, Mark's Gospel in chapter 1, verse 1, begins. 
This is the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The whole story is one of good news. This is the good news about Jesus. That's what Mark writes. And then the verses that uh, Hannah read to us, look at verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee. And what did he do? He proclaimed the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The first thing Jesus does in his public ministry is to open his mouth and proclaim good news of great joy. He commands people to believe it. One of my favourite images when I think about the gospel is this jolly chap. If you can see him, he's quite rotund and rosy-cheeked. But what's his job? He's a town crier. We don't have them now, do we? But it's the same idea, isn't it? He rings his bell and what does he say? Oh, yay, oh, yay. Hear ye. And, he, and he, what, it, what his job is to proclaim something to the people, isn't it? This is the, is, isn't this a picture of what Jesus came to do? He goes out into the nation and he opens his mouth and he proclaims the good news. Proclamation. Town crier. Oh, yea, oh, yea. Hear ye. The gospel is news. That's where we started, wasn't it? News. The gospel isn't just an idea. It isn't just something to discuss. The, go- the good news of Jesus is something to be shouted from the rooftops. Celebration, liberation and proclamation. And what is the content of this great message? Paul writes into the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 15. There's a very famous verse uh, there where he talks about my gospel and he, he says there, these are the things that I have passed on to you, which if you believe, you'll be saved. It's of first importance that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he rose again according to the scriptures, that many people saw him. This is my gospel, says Paul. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul says that the gospel is like dunamis or dynamite. He puffs his chest out and says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, I'm proud of it. Why? Because it is the salvation of those who believe it when they hear it. Well, how does this relate to being a healthy church? This is number three. The one thing we want with our news is we want it to be accurate, don't we? We want our news to be uh, not made up like some of the newspaper scandals that we've had. I think two things about news. We want it quick. It's no good last week's news. Sometimes when you go on holiday, don't you? They only sell you the paper from like yesterday. What good's that? I don't want to pay three times the price for what it would have cost at home for a paper that's got yesterday's news in it. You can get on the internet, can't you, these days? We want it quick, but it must be truthful and accurate. And often news can get scrambled and mixed up, can't it? How can we be healthy if we don't understand the gospel how can we be healthy if we don't know the good news and how will we ever tell other people this good news if we don't get it ourselves so we're going to spend the rest of our time just exploring uh, briefly some ideas about the gospel okay i want to talk about uh, 
three or four things that the gospel isn't. And then we'll come back to Mark and look at what Jesus said the gospel is. So, number one, the good news of the gospel is not simply that we're okay. Um, I'm not old enough really to remember the Beatles. Some of you will be. But they sang a song entitled, We Can Work It Out. We can work it out. Try to say it my way. Do I have to keep on talking till I can't go on while you say it your way? Run the risk of knowing that our love may soon be gone. We can work it out. We can work it out. Only time will tell if I am right or wrong. Only time will tell if I am right or wrong. And it goes on, doesn't it? And the life is very short and there's no time for fussing and fighting, my friend. The whole sentiment of the song is, things are not that bad. We can work it out if we work together. Accept the way things are, think positively. These are good things. And they're good sentiments in a way. But is that the gospel? We can work it out. The Bible's diagnosis is that something is very wrong with the world that we live in and something is very wrong with us. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, experienced a catastrophic fall that not only affects our deepest nature, but it requires a massive solution. We can talk, can't we, about uh, the subject of morality We can talk about the fact that God is the creator and he has given us his rules to live by. And the fact that God's law is not an arbitrary thing but it expresses the goodness of his own character. Mark Dever in his um, book illustrates the seriousness of sin in a humorous way when he talks about his wife sending him shopping. You know, sometimes my wife sends me to the shops and she gives me a little list. And sometimes it'll say on the list, now you must get this brand. I don't want the, you know, the, the cheap brand. It's got to be this version of it. And it's got to be this particular item. And the, you know, the list will be there. There'll be some brands on there. And it, it would be interesting, wouldn't it, if I went to the shop and I completely disregarded her request. And I came home and I said, I've, I've done my shopping. We haven't bought anything on the list. You've just bought a whole load of things you felt like buying. Where's the so-and-so? Where's the so-and-so? And And it, it, well, I didn't think he would really mind. (laughs) I just bought what I thought. It it would say something about my relationship with my wife, wouldn't it? If I didn't care about what she wanted and just bought a load of stuff she didn't want. We can't say in life, well, I only broke 17 of God's laws today, so that's not too bad, is it? <laughs> the, the issue is what it says about our relationship with God, isn't it? We can't just ignore what God requires of us or set it to one side as if it didn't matter. More than this, the Bible is very serious, isn't it? The Bible, Paul says in Romans, that the wages of sin is death. God had said to Adam and Eve, if you disobey, you will surely die. And the issue with death is not just physical death, but the spiritual death. The fact that sin separates us from God. It isn't just that we feel guilty, it is that we are guilty. 
It isn't that we're in conflict with ourselves. The, the real issue with human nature is that we're in conflict with God. It all sounds like very bad news, doesn't it? But if we don't get this part right, we'll never really understand why the gospel is good news. If we don't get the diagnosis right, the solution will look irrelevant and weak and stupid. Our biggest problem is not that we need more time or more therapy or a better self-esteem. Our biggest issue is our sin against a holy God. And it isn't the case that we can work it out. Our situation is very serious. One of the things that happens to a person when they become a Christian is that they begin to grasp, perhaps for the first time in their life, that their main problem is not superficial, external things. Their main issue, our main issue, is that we're not right with the God who made us. Why is this good news? How can Jesus come into the world and say, proclaim this as good news? I think one of the answers to this is that the gospel is not pessimistic but realistic and the truth is that the Bible never dodges the real depths of darkness that there is in human nature but on the other hand it never leaves us just dangling there hopeless the gospel is good news because it addresses our deepest needs in the most profound way and offers real hope the gospel is not denial it's not an anaesthetic the gospel faces reality and deals with it. Our responses sometimes to the issues that we see all around us and often inside of us can be to say, it's not that bad. It's okay. But that will never lead us to see the solution that God has given to us in Christ. Christianity doesn't just teach us to accept things as they are but that in the gospel there are answers that are life-changing and hope-filled. Number two, the gospel is not just that God is love. Mark Deaver talks about a newspaper in Oklahoma somewhere and they put, they put the headline in the newspaper, Cold weather causes temperature to drop. I don't know which journalist wrote that one. But um, that's not really news, is it? Cold weather causes temperature to drop. Sometimes when we hear God is love, we can view it like that. It's just there. It's like you take it for granted. God is love. That's what God does. It's his job. God is loving. But God's love isn't just like a sentimental thing, is it? And God's love is not the only dimension of his character and attributes. That is not the only thing that defines God. God also loves enough to care about what is wrong. And even in life, we know, I know as a parent, that the essence of love isn't just letting my kids do what they like. That wouldn't be loving them. They, they might think it is sometimes. God's love is rich and textured and profound. God's love is not just letting us have whatever we want or do whatever we like. God's love is mirrored and uh, affected by his justice and holiness and purity as well. So we mustn't think that the gospel is only about God's love. Thirdly, 
I want to say this. The good news of the gospel is not uh, simply that Jesus is your friend. Sometimes we hear a lot of talk, don't we, about Jesus being our friend or Jesus being our example. Um, And there, there is a sense in which these things are true. Jesus is the friend of sinners. He is a great example. But the gospel is much deeper than that, isn't it? Because the problem that we have is that we have real sins that need forgiving and dealing with and transforming. If Jesus was simply our friend, the good news that Jesus would have preached would have been very different and his life would have been very different it is incredible, isn't it? <coughs> when, when you um, read, we, we live in the age of the autobiography, don't we? You can go to Waterstones and every person... You, you have now people who are doing autobiographies before they've even hit puberty. I don't know. You can buy them. Sometimes, I think Wayne Rooney's had three autobiographies out already. And how, how old is he? He's not even... Is he 25 yet? And he's had three autobiographies already. It's going to be about 20 volumes by the time he's uh, come to the end of his life, isn't it? But when, when you read an autobiography, it's often about the person's life, isn't it? And the, you know, the last chapter or even the last couple of pages might be about the person's death, because we're not interested in that. But when you read the autobi- well, autobiographies, biographies of Jesus' life, the Gospels that we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, How many chapters are allocated to the last week and to the last 24 hours of his life in his biographies? It is incredible, isn't it, that so much space is given to the death of Jesus in the Gospel. It is Jesus' own focus as well. If we were to turn to Mark chapter 8, we would hear Jesus saying there that he's going to be handed over Uh, to to wicked men who are going to take his life. And Peter argues with Jesus and says, this will never happen to you. And Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. He, He knew that he had been born to die. He wasn't born just to be our friend or our example. The whole of the gospel is built around the fact that Jesus came to be our saviour. There are many words in the Bible. Jai did a series, didn't he, on uh, big words that end in shun in the New Testament. And many of these words describe the gospel. We could talk about redemption, the idea of slavery, and someone being bought for a price and set free from the slavery. That's one way that the death of Jesus is described. Jesus has redeemed us from the slavery of sin. At the cost of his own life. We could use the language of the courtroom. Couldn't we? Legal language. And we could talk about justification. And the fact that in that courtroom. With God as the judge. And our lives laid bare before him. Instead of saying guilty. God can say not guilty. Because Jesus has borne the punishment. And taken away the wrath of God against us. We could use relational language. What about the idea of reconciliation two parties who are loggerheads enemies who are brought back together into relationship the cross of Jesus is described in those terms it is like Jesus 
on the cross bridges the gap between a holy God and a sinful people. What about the word adoption, being brought into God's family? Another way that the cross is talked about in the New Testament is the idea of God adopting us as his children through the death of Jesus upon the cross. There's other words as well. Military language. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul talks about Jesus humiliating and embarrassing and triumphing over the powers and authorities of this dark world. How? By his death upon the cross. It was a triumph in military terms. The good news is not simply that Jesus is our friend. He is the Redeemer, the Saviour. And he came to die so that we sinful people could be forgiven. Fourthly, uh, the good news is not simply that we should try harder to live right. This is a popular idea, isn't it? People are basically good at heart. And uh, what we need is to just try that little bit harder to let the good side of us conquer the bad side and it's kind of an add-on to the good that's already there Jesus as he comes to proclaim this good news is really telling people to live good moral lives was it not Jesus who said do unto others what you would have them do to you the golden rule this is often how Christianity is presented isn't it a virtuous way to live not doing bad things and seeking to do good things do good to other people. Read the Bible. Be unselfish. Tell the truth. Join the church. Say your prayers. Help the aged. Care for the sick and vulnerable. There are lots and lots of people in our world who do all those things. But that isn't the gospel. The gospel is not an add-on to our lives that are already basically good. The gospel is really good news because it comes to us in our desperate need. Jesus said, it's not the healthy you need a doctor. I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The people who were most offended by Jesus were people who thought they were okay. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is for those who have nothing to bring. The gospel is for those who know that they've rebelled against the holy God. The gospel is for those who need reconciling to him. The gospel is for those who recognize that they can't do it on their own. This good news is for those who recognize that it is all about what God has done for us. The Christian gospel begins with us coming to God empty-handed for him to give us everything that we need. And that is why Jesus could stand up and proclaim such a glorious message of hope to sinful, broken and fallen people. Well, we've seen some of the things that the gospel isn't. Let's just uh, look at Mark chapter 1 together and see uh, what the gospel is. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 15, Jesus says, The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. 
repent and believe the good news. Now, these are not the words of uh, an ordinary person. These, this is the Son of God speaking. The kingdom of God is near. What a great word that is. A sin-broken world and the Son of God comes into it and stands up and starts to proclaim, like the town crier, the kingdom of God is near. Doesn't that make the hairs on the back of your neck stand up and, the, and, and, and some excitement begin to form? Here, here is a God who comes into the world, not to condemn the world, but to bring hope. The kingdom of God is near. But the thing about news is that it demands a response. And the good news of the gospel is no different. Once we hear it, we ought to respond to it. And Jesus says here, the kingdom of God is near. And he doesn't expect people to go, oh good, that's really great. (laughs) Thanks for telling us. Where's the next headline? No, Jesus says the kingdom of God is near and you need to do something with that news. I'm coming to proclaim to you good news and the things that you need to do are to repent and to believe it. I think it's amazing that Jesus puts these two things together and the Christian gospel doesn't work if you try and separate these two things. On the one hand, (coughs) Jesus talks about believing this good news. The good news about him. The good news of him coming into the world as a saviour. Dying for our sins so that we could be forgiven. We need to believe it. We can believe things in different ways, can't we? First of all, we can believe that something's true. In our heads. Um, that's mental kind of assent uh, to some fact. But Jesus is talking about more than just believing something is true. He's talking here about... The idea of relying on something that is true. The essence of faith is to face the fact, isn't it, that we can't save ourselves and that Jesus has done it all and to trust him completely. That's the essence of biblical faith. It isn't trusting Jesus a little bit and myself a little bit. It is trusting Jesus only. The Bible talks also about repentance. The beauty of these things going together. If if the gospel was, Jesus has died for your sins, believe it. The criticism that some people have of the Bible could be true that what God's doing is just letting us off he's just letting us off believe it and then live like uh, however you please but Jesus always connects faith and repentance if repentance was the only thing that God required then the gospel would be the last point that we had up on the screen before just try harder turn over a new leaf but it isn't just repentance because we can't do that in our own strength What we need is to repent and believe. Everything is grounded in Jesus. But that faith that we have in Jesus will change the way that we live. The Bible says faith without works is dead. But so is works without faith. You can't have one or the other of these things and have the accurate gospel. 
you need faith and repentance together, hand in hand. And that's what Jesus says. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Repentance has got something in it about changing our mind. Someone said a great illustration of repentance is, uh, this happened to me once, so I, someone came to visit me at work and we went out for lunch and we went down the motorway back into Rotherham and on the way back I drove straight past the junction. What a numpty, this is my office. I drove straight past it, we were just chatting in the car, I drove straight past the junction and I had to go all the way around the next one and come back and uh, how embarrassing is that? Um, the gentleman was very gracious and kind about it. Um, in, in our life, the idea of repentance is that we're going in the wrong direction, isn't it? Away from God. And what we need to do is drive off the junction and go around the roundabout. We need to change our mind about God. We need to stop thinking that we're okay. We need to stop thinking that we can do it on our own. We need to stop thinking that we can work it out. We need to turn around and start moving towards God, don't we? And trust in the Lord Jesus and his death and his power. God in the gospel is not just letting us off, but he is lifting us up to live a new kind of life in his strength and in his power. It isn't a competition in that we're trying to impress God, but repentance is necessary. Without repentance, the gospel is empty. The gospel then is good news to be proclaimed. It is a celebration. It is liberation. It is something to be declared from the rooftops that a saviour has come to bring life where there is death. If it is news, it is either true or not true. Either the Bible's right and we're sinners or we're not. Either God exists or he doesn't exist. Either Jesus did die on the cross for our sins or he didn't. All these other ideas are, are gospels that are not really good news. And the question for us, isn't it, is have we really heard the good news of the gospel? Are we believing it or are we playing at it? Do we view the gospel as an add-on to our lives or is it something that has shaken our lives to the very core and made a radical difference to us? The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. It is the best news that you will ever hear. Do you believe it?